Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. All right, all right. This is part of why we need to do uh, a fast. Do me, do me a favor, grab your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 20. I'm going to talk about the fast real quick. Luke chapter 20. Um, this is part of the reason why we are fasting. We need to fast because uh, we need to make sure that we are making decisions that are, that are God decisions. We also, if you look around the room, we have space issues. Uh, first service, we're, we're kind of getting tight as well. And so we, we need to just pray. We got a lot of decisions that we need to make. So this week we will be fasting. I pray that everybody would jump into the fast. I, fasting is so much better and fruitful when we do it together. So I pray that everybody would partake. And there will be so many moments of prayer for you this week. On Monday, this should pop up on the screen. Monday, we have a prayer call at 7 p.m. In fact, if you go to the website, you can go right now. You can, you can see all of this stuff. There will be a, a link for, prayer, for our prayer call. So go to the website. You'll find that link. On Tuesday and Wednesday, we have meetups all around the city. We're going to meet up in businesses and just local little communities where we're just going to pray for an hour and then we're going to disperse. It's not a small group. It is, it's literally prayer and we'll disperse. So that's Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, discipleship groups. You can go on the website. If you don't have any discipleship group or you're not connected like that, you can click a link and um, we'll make sure that you get connected in a discipleship group. And then Friday, we'll break the fast. We'll break it at 6 p.m. upstairs. And then we'll be down here uh, at seven o'clock and we'll go through our upper room uh, prayer service down here. Now, let me just say this. What are we fasting from? We're fasting primarily from food. Um, and so we're turning our plates down. It starts at 6 a.m. on the dot. So from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., we ask that you not eat anything. Be wise if you're, if you're pregnant or if you're on medication. Be wise if you have to eat something. That's, it's just not the day to, to like eat a whole plate, just a little something, something to hold you over until 6 p.m. And then, and then you, can, you can eat whatever you want at 6 p.m. Um, and then, <laughs> I'm not sure what you're doing over there, Matthias. You're taking me to we come this far by faith. Um, and then, no, you could have kept playing. It's all good. And then, um, and, and then I, you know, I, I just want to make sure that everybody, you know, is just wise with how they fast. But also, it's, it is supposed to it is supposed to hurt. You're supposed to, you're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to feel like, man, I'm denying something. Turn off social media if you can. We, we, I hope you can. Turn off all social media uh, if it's not work-related. Don't be browsing or scrolling. Really, like for me, I can't even, I have to delete the apps. I'm, y'all got to know your passwords, though. So save them somewhere. Delete the app. It's not worse than that. But delete the apps if you can so that you're not on social media. So we can all spend the time giving God the glory and giving God that time. Is that all right? So we're going to all do this together. The old saints would say, govern yourselves accordingly. All right, let's get into it. We are in, we're in Luke chapter 20. Nationwide is on. Ah. Yes. Luke chapter 20. I had to break it up in here. It felt a little stiff. All right. Pick me up in verse 9. If you're there, just say, I'm there, B. Come on. If you're there, say, I'm there, B. All right. Look at verse number 9. We're in Luke chapter 20. And he, meaning Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let out 
lent it out to tenants or rented it out, if you will, to tenants. And he went into another country for a long while. When the time had came, he sent a servant. He sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. And he sent him away empty handed. And he sent a third. This they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to some to others or to someone else. And when they, meaning the Pharisees and the scribes who was in the crowd right now that are hearing this, and when they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is written? He's going to quote now Psalm chapter or Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I want to preach today from the topic. It's a little graphic, but the topic entitled the murder of God's son, the murder of God's son. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, I pray over this entire room. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of the Lord is active and sharper than any double edged sword. So, Lord, we need your word to get at us today. We need it to convict us. We need it to cut us, do spiritual surgery on our hearts, remove the things that are not of you. But, Lord, I pray, oh, God, that you would you would bind us up, that you really are the bomb in Gilead, that you would heal our bodies, that you would restore us so that we can run well for you. Lord, would you be glorified in this text and be glorified in my time. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. May Jesus be proclaimed, not just because it's his words today, but may he be proclaimed because he's worthy of all glory. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. The murder of God's son. In 2010, my family and I were so excited and honestly so proud that we purchased our first home. And by God's grace, at the time we were living in Philly and we purchased a home about 45 minutes outside of Philly in, in, the, in the suburbs of Philly. I mean, it, it was a beautiful home. We, we no longer own it, but it was a beautiful home, you know, four bedroom, two car garage, had a little bit of land, a patio, the length of the house. It, it, we didn't build this, but they had a, a playground already built. Our kids were small, so this was perfect. Had a playground that was already built. In fact, we even got a dog and named it Pepper. You know, I don't know, you know, my, my boys were, were huge uh, Iron Man fans, Iron Man, and uh, I don't know if you know who Pepper Potts is, but she's a character in this. So we named the dog Pepper after her, and, and, you know, we were doing well, man. We had many Christmases and many memories and watched the boys grow while we were living in this house. And then in 2013, the Lord started to, to, to gnaw on both Ty and I's hearts about ministry. Not, not really sure if it was planting a church. The Lord started to crystallize that throughout some time, but in 2013, we, there was a huge conviction that we should, have, we should be doing ministry in the inner city. And it was kind of hard for us because we were living in the suburbs and it just, it felt 
I don't know, it, it, it felt counterproductive to live in the suburbs, drive into the inner city to do ministry. It, it almost felt like we were treating people like projects that needed to be fixed. And then we drive back to the suburbs. You know, growing up, that's how, that's how it was. Growing up, it's like, man, you've made it when you got out of the hood. And in our mind, we were like, yeah, but somebody needs to stay and do ministry in the hood. And so God redirected our lives and put us back into not just Philly. We moved into North Philly. Now, if y'all know anything about Philly, that's the worst section of Philly to be in. 19th and Cecil B is where we, is where we moved to. But we, didn't, we did not sell the house right away. We said, man, let's become landlords. So we rented the house out, but we didn't have a, a really strong vetting process. And one of the families that we got into the house just did not treat the house well. I mean, we got the house back. It had holes in the walls. The fixtures were all torn torn down. He literally would take his car and he would drive it on the lawn on a rainy day. And so the lawn was all destroyed. And yeah, we got the security deposit back, but it didn't really pay for the damages that they put into the house. And, you know, we were upstairs talking before the first service and my mother-in-law was up there and she said what she always says. She has this saying, you know, no one will treat your stuff like you'll treat it. And it's, it's just true, man. I don't, care how, I don't care how great you think that person is. Nobody will treat your stuff like you will treat your stuff. In today's parable, we get introduced to a landlord that is renting out his property. And just like us, he's renting out the property to unfaithful tenants. He's, but, he, but the tenants here are evil tenants. Well, I think ours were a bit evil as well. But he's, it's evil tenants that he is renting out the property. Now, some of you might have heard this story before, the parable of the wicked tenants, which is where we are today. This parable is not as famous as the prodigal son. It's not as, it's not as beloved as the parable of the good Samaritan. But this parable is important really for two reasons. The first reason it's important is because Jesus said it. Can we agree if the words are in red, we should take heed? Now, even if they in black and they in the Bible, we should take heed. But there's something really, really, really special and keen that you need to pay attention to when Jesus is talking. So the first reason why it's important for us to be in this parable today is because Jesus is talking. The second is because this parable is one of the only parables that is apocalyptic, meaning in this parable, Jesus gives us a hint to what will happen in the future when he comes back. For us. In fact, there are only three parables that are mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels. You know what the synoptic gospels are? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are only three parables that are mentioned in all three. Shut up, Siri. That are mentioned in all three. This is one that is mentioned in all three of the parables. In all three of the, the gospels. This parable is mentioned in Matthew chapter 21. In fact, if you'll do me a favor, just kind of find your way to Matthew 21. Don't hang out there, but you'll, you'll need to put your finger there or a, a bookmark and do something um, in, in Matthew 21 because we'll kind of bounce between the two. So Matthew 21 is there. It's also in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And then this parable is where we are today in Luke chapter 20. Now, it's, now Bible study 101, it's really important for you to know that whenever you get to a parable and it is also in another gospel, it is important that you don't build an entire theology around one gospel. You have to look at the other one because the gospels, what they do is they complete the story. 
They help you. They give you different facets and sides of the story. If we just said in Luke chapter 20 today, we would be doing ourselves a disservice. You got to look at Mark 12. You, you got to look at Matthew 21 because it gives us the completed picture. Somebody say completed picture. When I was in seminary, there, there was a class I took. It was, it was on the Gospels, and we had to read a book called The Four Portraits of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, 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 and in the class, they wanted to, to, to really illustrate and show exactly what I'm saying, that you get pictures when you read all of the Gospels together. And so the professor did the unthinkable. He said, man, I'm going to have a young lady come into the room. She's going to be here for 30 seconds, and I need you to tell me everything she has on, and then she's going to walk out. Now, she walked in. It probably was about 10 seconds when she walked in, and then she walked out. And the professor went around the room and said, well, what did y'all see? So I'm like, man, I, she got a black purse on. Somebody else is like, she had a red scarf on. Somebody else is like, she got brown boots on. Somebody else says, well, she had a wedding ring on. Somebody else says she had ponytails in her hair. And so, so everybody had all of these different ideas of her. But here's the thing. We've never contradicted each other. We got a completed picture, but we got it from different angles. The Gospels, that's exactly what they do. Matthew is going to give us a different angle than Luke, and they have different writing styles. But nevertheless, it's important that we bring them all together. Now, we got to do this before we dig in. Before we dig into the passage, I got to lay out who the characters are, because I don't want you confused and putting yourself in a place that you're not. I want us to understand who we are in the text. Now, there's several characters that are mentioned here. If you're taking notes, this is a real good place to take notes. The first character is the owner of the vineyard. The scripture starts out by saying that there was a, a man who planted a vineyard, then he went away to a far country. So the owner, the owner is representative of God. In fact, when the audience heard this, they would have knew that that represented God. And here's why, because Isaiah chapter five calls Israel God's vineyard. And so owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyard itself is Israel. Again, Israel would have known this based on Isaiah 5. So the, the owner is God. The vineyard itself, where God plants, is Israel. The wicked tenants that the owner keeps sending is representative of religious leaders in, in Israel. In other words, the scribes, the, the, the Pharisees, this, the, the ones that they keep sending it represents them. Then, then you have, I, I'm sorry, let me, let, me, let me back up a minute. The wicked tenants represent the religious leaders, the wicked tenants. And then there are the, the servants that I talked about, and that's the prophets. I hope I didn't mess y'all up there. Let me, let me back up a little bit. You have the wicked tenants. They represent who? The religious leaders. Thank y'all. I messed that up, so thank y'all. And then there are the servants of the owner that the servant keeps, that the owner keeps sending. Who do they represent? The Old Testament prophets. And then finally... There's a son. There's an heir. Who does that represent? Always say Jesus. You'll somewhere be right if you just always say Jesus. You're right this time. The, the son, the heir, is a representative of Jesus. Now that we know the characters, let's dig into the passage. Verse 9, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out or rented it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent his servant to the tenants 
so that they would give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. Stop there for a, sec- for a second. This would have made sense to everybody. Like this, this is an agrarian culture. And so planting and, and growing harvest, like that makes sense to everybody. They had no food towns. There were no associates. There were no bodegas. There was no chopped cheese. But you know what else there wasn't? There was no GMOs. There was no high fructose corn syrup. You know, there was no preservatives. They grew it and then they ate it. And so this makes sense to everybody. But what Luke leaves out that Matthew picks up is that this is not just a vineyard. Luke says, man, the man planted a vineyard. Matthew's like, wait, 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 wait. He ain't just plant a vineyard. I need to tell you that he decked out the vineyard. Because Matthew 21 says that he put a fence around it. Matthew 21 says he dug a wine press. Matthew 21 says that he built a tower in the middle of the vineyard. And so this vineyard was legit. He spent time. He invested money. He invested resources. He invested energy in making sure that this just wasn't any old vineyard, but this was the cream of the crop. Now, now the scripture says that after he builds this vineyard and he plants things in it, he then goes away. He rents it out and then he goes away to a long country, a far country. You know, he was there for a while because at least for a few months, because he sent the tenants when it was harvest time, he left when he planted. So can we agree that there's months that passed and finally he sends one of his servants for one job. He sent him to collect the fruit and bring it back to the owner. Makes sense to me. But what happens when the servant of the owner gets there? The Bible says, but when the tenants, but the tenants, beat him, are y'all seeing this, and sent him away empty-handed. I just need us to pay attention for a second. When he sent the servant into the the land, the, the vineyard, he expected that there would be fruit. Don't miss this. In other words, he didn't send them there to evaluate how the crops were going. He sent them there because he knew that fruit had already grown. Anybody that plants a vineyard, there is an expectation that there will be some type of growth. Now, here's why this is important, because the, the vineyard here and the fruit that needs to be, that, that needs to be uh, raised up here is simply a representative of God and his word and our obedience. Who is the owner? Who is the vineyard? Israel. And so in other words, God is like, if I put something in you, oh God, I expect that there will be fruit. God never saved you with the intention that you would be fruitless. God never saved you with the intention that you would not bear fruit. But God is in heaven and like, when I send down my servant, I expect that there will be fruit. I ain't expecting them to come evaluate your life. I ain't expecting them to come and see what the prayer life looks. He wants to know, are you bearing fruit with what I gave you? And so, so, so in, 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 this, in, this, in this parable, fruit here represents obedience to the word of God. Do me a favor. Go to Luke chapter 8 real quick. We're still in the book of Luke. Flip back to Luke 8. In Luke 8, Jesus gives another parable. But in this parable, Jesus is talking about four different types of soil that I'm going to plant in. And when I plant in these four different soils, I still expect fruit to come up from them. But the ones that fruit doesn't come up from, it's not that they were bad Christians. They're not Christians. Oh, I need you to hear me. Fruitlessness doesn't, a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. God is like, if I put something there, I expect it to grow. 
Watch what he says here in verse number five. So I'm in Luke eight. This is the parable of the, of the sower. He says here in verse number five, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he is sowed, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on rocks, and it, and it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up, grew, and they, and they choked it out. And some fell among good soil. Here's a Christian, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. Somebody say that's fruit. Now, Jesus goes on to explain what he meant in the parable. In verse number 11, he says, now the parable is this. The seed, of the, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who heard, and the devil comes and takes, it, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. But y'all going to hear this. Verse 13, and the ones on the, rocks, on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Verse 14, as for the one that fell amongst thorns, they are those that hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Here's the Christian, as for the one in good soil, they are those that hear the word, Hold fast to it in honesty and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus just said there's four types of soil. And one of the soils is just going to fall on the wayside. Another one, the thorns going to choke it out. Another one's going to fall on rocks so it ain't going to have root. But then there is a soil that is good soil. And I know it's good soil because it bears fruit. Oh, wait, wait. It's obedient to the very word of God. And so what, 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 what the litmus test for your fruit is purely based on, are you walking in this room, hearing the word of God, walking out and doing nothing? Are you spending time in your devotional time? You mark up your little Bible and you walk away and you do nothing. Because there's four types of soil and the question is, which one are you? As, as a pastor, my hope and my job and my prayer is to get you to move from the other three to being the good soil. Can we talk about the stats for a second? First of all, these stats scare me. Because one out of four are believers, but they all came to church? Oh, I don't think y'all hearing me. 75% are not believers. All four got the word. All four received it, but the only, the only one that Jesus considers to being a fruitful Christian is the one that was, was planted in good soil. Look at somebody and just ask them, are you the 25 that's good soil? Or are you the 75 that do nothing with the word? Oh, y'all ain't asking. Are you the 25 or the 75? Now, don't answer it. Don't answer it. Here's the point. Go back to Luke 20. Here's the point. The point is, God expects fruit if you say, I trusted in him. He, he wants growth. He, he expects maturity. He, he expects that you're not in the same place this year that you were last year. He expects that you are growing into the image of his son. He expects obedience. He expects repentance. He expects fruit. I'm angry, and I don't know why. 
He, ex he, ex he expects fruit. And some of you are going through a season right now where you're just kind of going through the motions. And instead of presenting God with fruit, you're presenting God with religion. I know it. I know it. This is how it works. We come to church and we be like, I ain't got no fruit, but I came to church. And what we do, Caleb, when we do that, what we do is we try to fill our lives, not with fruit, but we try to fill our lives with all these religious activities. And so, man, I messed up this week. If I can just get to the church and take communion, and then the communion is no longer a place of reverence. Communion, the cup becomes a crack pipe. It becomes a crack pipe to fill up your religiosity. Jesus don't want your religion. He wants fruit. Somebody say fruit. And so, and so he sent his servant into the vineyard for one reason and one reason alone. Bring me back some fruit. Now, what happens when he gets to the vineyard? In Luke chapter 20, the scripture is very clear that he gets there and the tenants see him and watch what they do. Verse number, verse number 10 and when the time came, he sent his servant to the, the, uh, sent his servant to the tenants so that they would give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Hold on. Did y'all read that? I'm going to go on. And then he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent the third servant. This one, they wounded and they cast out. I don't know if y'all are picking this up. But, but God the Father sent his servant, which represents the prophets, into the vineyard, which represents his people, and his people, oh, killed the prophets. They killed the servant. Now, let me just, let me just be honest here. I'm reading, I'm reading this, and I'm going, all right, you know, you, you sent the servant. For God, this is, first of all, you're God. This is your land. After the first one, come on, wreck shop. Like, smite them, oh, great smiter. Like, like kill, kill. Because think about this. If the servant came back, which he did, if the servant came back empty-handed but not beat up, it's still a breach of contract. Right? I expected fruit. You didn't send back fruit. I can kick you out because I own it. But they didn't just, he didn't just come back empty-handed. He came back empty-handed and beat up. In fact, the word for, for beat in, in Luke 20 in the New Testament is, is this Greek word, dero, and it literally means a full-body pummeling. It is the strongest word you can use for beat. So, so they beat him halfway to death. Any sensible human businessman would have immediately kicked them right out of the vineyard. You are God. You are all-powerful. I either kick them out or you show up with a squad and you don't want God to show up to the vineyard with a squad. Now, keep in mind, this is God, the God of the universe. He shows up. He has the servants show up and they beat him and they sent him away. Now, this this is what makes um, um, people who like the idea, the, the title of prophet think it's sexy. It's, it's funny to me because I'm like, yo. Do you know how they treated the Old Testament prophets? Like, bro, if, I, if a recruiter called me and I'm looking for a job and they say, yo, I got a job. It's an Old Testament prophet. I'm going to be like, get somebody else to do it. I don't, I don't want that job. Like, do you know what they did to the prophets? I mean, think about all of the prophets. The Bible says Jeremiah was consistently mistreated. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit. Tradition shows me that he was stoned to death. Ezekiel faced the same type of hatred and hostility. 
Amos had to flee for his own life. Zechariah was rejected and stoned. Micah was punched in the face. Isaiah, Isaiah who wrote the longest of all the 66 chapters. This is how I know you don't got a better relationship with the Lord than Isaiah. Isaiah had a moment where he stopped the sun. You ever did that? He literally, he tells the sun to stop moving. And, and God makes the sun to stop moving. Isaiah, that had a tight relationship with the Lord, was also killed by the Jews. Do you know how he was killed? He was sawn in half by a wooden saw. In fact, this, the, the, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, talks about how some were, you know, that's the hall of faith, right? But some, it says, were sawn in two. Many commentators would suggest that that was probably Isaiah. What about our, our prophet Jesus? He was sent into the vineyard himself. And the scriptures show me that even he was rejected. Now, I need you to understand this. They are not being rejected by heathens. They're being rejected by church folk. They're being rejected by us. And so I'm reading this. I'm going, yo, God, kill all of them. Start like literally after the first one. I promise you that was my thought. After the first one, and they said they beat the tenants and they sent them away empty handed in verse 10. I'm like, okay, verse 11, chapter ends because you've killed everybody. But let me show you the patience and the grace of God and why you should not miss your shouting moment here. Watch the patience of God. I would have killed them. But verse 11 says, and he sent another servant and they beat him and mistreated him shamefully. And then and sent him away empty-handed. Watch verse 12. Watch the grace of God. And he sent a third. I'm like, yo, you keep sending people. And this is what makes, you know, Caleb, you know how they be like, you know, your, your God real angry. He be killing people in the Bible. I'm like, when I read this, I'm like, he keeps sending servants and sending messengers and sending people to proclaim his word. There is nobody as gracious as God because in verse 10, I wanted to kill everybody. In verse 11, God says... And another one. Oh, I felt DJ Khaled right there. And another one. And an it's crazy to me to fathom that God puts up with our mess. And I know you're still thinking about Israel because you're going, it's no way, you know, it's no way I killed the prophets. But many of us dishonor and disfame the name of God by the way we live. And God looks at you and instead of killing you, he says, and another one. I need somebody to praise God for the patience and the grace and the mercy of God that keeps sending people to get you together. Woo! I gotta go for a praise for a second because I I'm talking to people that know you really messed up and you didn't always do right. You ain't always cross every T and dot every I, but you've messed up not before you met Jesus, but after you met him. I messed up before. Thank you, Lord, that you look at my mistakes and you don't do what I would have did in verse 10, but you sent another one. And some of you are in this room right now and you know you keep messing up. You know you keep messing up and you know you keep walking away. And God is sitting here today and trust me, I ain't claiming to be no prophet, but he sent another one because we serve a God that is gracious. Thank you, God, for your grace. I got to move. Thank you, God, for not cutting me off. I know I did. I know I messed up. Thank you, God, for looking and covering it. I, wait, listen, anybody ain't lie. The rumors are true. I did it, but thank you, God, for 
sending another one. So the Bible says the first servant, they beat him. Second servant, they abused him. The third servant, they treated him shamefully. Now, clearly, clearly, y'all, there's only one thing left to do. You, you, done, you done killed all three of my boys. It's only one thing left to do, and that's kill everybody. You know what God does? He asks a question. Bruh, you don't want me on your advisory board, God. You, don't, you know why? Because watch the question he asks in verse 13. It says, and then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Bruh, I mean, Lord, what shall I do? It's only one thing to do. Kill everybody. They disrespecting you. They're killing your prophets. They're, 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 you're sending messengers and they still walk away and they live life as though they want to and live life in sin. Kill everybody. But he says, what shall I do? Well, he answers his own question. He's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll send my beloved son. And perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard. Don't miss this. And killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? This messed me up, y'all. That you ask this question, what shall I do? And then you by your own wisdom, even though I'm sitting here fickle and thought going, there's no way you're not going to let them off again. In your own wisdom, you said, you know what? I'm going to send another. But wait, this one that he sends is different than the last three. Right? I done sent my prophets. I done sent Ezekiel. I done sent Amos. I done sent Dan. I done sent my prophets. I ain't sending no more prophets. Oh, wait, I'm going to send one prophet, but he is the prophet. And when I send my son, surely they're going to listen to him. He's going to work miracles. He's going to affirm himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Surely all of my people are going to rally around my son. But the Bible says that they saw him and they said, let's kill him too. This is why I laugh, man. I really do. I laugh. I really laugh when people say that God is angry. Like we're sitting here verse after verse after verse after verse, and everybody in the room has the same disposition as me. Why are you still rocking with them? Kill them. But God is like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not quick to wrath. Now, here's the thing. I need you to pick this up. Please notice after he sends his son, he ain't send nobody else. Oh, the son, the last one. The son, we, we, oh, grace is amazing, but it runs out. Oh, mercy is amazing, but it runs out. We are grateful that God is patient with us, but his patience runs out. I'm talking to somebody in this room that's playing with God, and God is sitting there going, I'm merciful, I'm merciful, I'm going to keep sending, but there's a point that I'm going to stop sending, and the point stops at his son. You know what else is so dope about the son being the last one? That means we, ain't need, we don't need nobody else. Oh, you don't need... See, that's the problem. There's a whole group of people. I'll leave them nameless for a second. They're still waiting for a Messiah. Oh, but my God already sent his son. And Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm, I'm the truth and the, the life. If you want to be connected to the Father, you got to go through your boy. And so Jesus is the last one. Jesus is the last prophet. Stop looking for more others. Stop looking for more. That void that you feel in you, you're trying to fill it with a bunch of stuff. You need to fill it with the last one he sent. Oh, let me read Hebrews 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to us by our fathers and the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He, meaning Jesus, upholds the universe in the palm of his hand. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sitting down means there's no more work that needs to be done. I did it. And here's the thing. I killed the word. Oh, I, I get a standing ovation. When I got up on that cross, nobody else needs to get up on the cross. This is why we ain't sacrificing bulls. We ain't even sacrificing goats. We ain't sacrificing pigeons. Because Jesus is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. Y'all making me work in here. And I don't know why you're not rejoicing in this room. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus and he's been gracious and merciful to you and I'm sitting here saying he's the last one. We don't need nothing else. We should rejoice in this room because we got a savior that was willing to die for us. It messes me up, y'all. Because some of you in this room, you've been looking all over, trying to figure out, trying to, trying to figure out how to go through life. It is impossible to go through life and not trust in Jesus. I don't know who it is in this room. Somebody in this room has rejected him. And it's not just profession. Your life is a rejection of him. I know, listen, B, I know you'll never say it. I get it. You'll, ne you'll never say, I rejected him. But your profession doesn't line up with your demonstration. And it equals a rejection. Don't reject the king today because God ain't sending another one. Don't reject the son today because God ain't sending another one. Don't reject the one who has the words of life because God ain't sending another one. The Bible says that the owner, representative of God, sent prophets to his people, the vineyard, and they rejected all of them. Finally, they, he sent the son. They'll accept him, and they don't accept him. By the way, they, this, was so, this was so strategic on their part, you know, Jewish law said that if a tenant worked the land for three years and nobody ever came back to check on that land, the land actually, they could inherit the land. That's what Jewish law says. And here's what's crazy. That's exactly what they're thinking. He'll stop sending people if we kill the son. Because look at what they said. This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. They were looking for land and rejected the son. Looking, looking for land and rejected the one. Are you talking about fruit? Jesus is the fruit we need, and they rejected him. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little fearful in this room because I think some people will reject Jesus. Now, here's the thing. What's the consequence, B? What is the consequence for rejecting the son? What, what, what's the punishment for rejecting the son? Let me just tell you, God doesn't put you on timeout or put you in the corner. I, I, I just want to, I want to read, I want to read what happens when you reject the son. Verse 16, here's the rest of it. He will come and destroy those tenants, finally, and give the vineyard to others. Now, the religious leaders knew this was about them, because watch what they said. Surely not. But he looked, they miss it every time. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is written? Jesus now quotes Psalm 18 to point us forward. He looked, mm, God, he looks back to point us forward. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. Don't miss this part. When it falls on anyone, it will crush them. There is no escaping. There is no duality that you have with God. You can't maneuver your way, your sin around God. At some point when he sent his son and you've rejected him, the Bible says that the stone falls on you. And when the stone falls on you, it crushes you. It breaks you into pieces. But let let me just be very, very clear here, because I know what some of us are doing. Some of us in this room going, oh, he just using scare tactics. You know, scare tactics. He he want me to give my life to the Lord. I know where he about to go, but he's using scare tactics. Let me me just promise you, I don't I don't play with scare tactics because they don't work. I'm not getting I don't want you to love Jesus because hell is hot. It is hot, though. I don't want you to I don't want to get you to love Jesus because eternity is long. It is long. I want you to love Jesus because he's worthy of your praise. Period. Did you not wake up this morning? Did you not got breath in your body? I ain't saying everything is well. I ain't saying you ain't get a bad diagnosis. But did he not save you? Did he not? Did he not wake you up? I'm telling you, he's worthy of your praise, whether you give it to him or not. Oh, all the, all the universe words. This is why Jesus is standing there and, the, and, and, and he says, if I tell my disciples to shut up, the rocks are going to cry out because I'm worthy of the praise. And I don't know who it is in this room, but there is somebody in this room. Forget scare tactics. I'm closing this. There's somebody in this room that you have rejected Jesus with your life. And what I'm pleading, I am pleading with you today. Don't give it another day. Did y'all see the flood this week? It could be higher. He could send fire next time. And I'm telling you, tomorrow is not promised. And so therefore, don't reject him. Receive him today. Because the Bible said that the day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And there's somebody in here. I know it. It's, 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 not, just, it's not just your mouth. Your life has rejected him. And for some of you, it's been people in here that have made a profession before. I don't know if I ever shared this with you. I I probably have. But, you know, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was born and raised in church. I knew the religion. I knew how to, I knew how to fake it out. I knew how to do it. I knew how to lift my hands. I knew how to fool everybody. I knew that if I just came to church, the leadership wouldn't know. But it took a friend in the parking lot of the church to share this very gospel with me. And the friend said, you need to forsake your righteousness. You trust in the cross, but you trust in the cross and you. That ain't the gospel. The gospel is not that you add anything to the cross. Let me tell you something. If you add something to the cross, you didn't dilute the gospel. It's a whole nother gospel. The gospel is that we get Jesus and he's enough. That Jesus goes on a cross for your sins. And let me just say, you know, sometimes I think we think that Jesus had to. Like, I think, you know, like, I I think we like, well, you know, the Roman army was strong. Do you do you know? Do you know that every angel in heaven could have been unleashed at one moment and started it just killed everybody? So Jesus didn't he didn't have to be arrested. He was willing to. He didn't have to go on trial, which, by the way, was an illegal trial because it was done at night and you weren't supposed to do that. He was willing to go on trial. 
He didn't have to get put on the cross. He was willing to get put on the cross. And do you know why he does it? He does it because he knows that that is the only way that you and I will be accepted by a holy God. The Bible says with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. B, what joy is there in the cross? Here it is, you. You're the joy in the cross for Jesus. You're the reason he was willing to endure the pain. You're the reason he, that he got his body ripped to shreds. You're the reason the beard was pulled out. You're the reason that nails were put in his hands. And I know how we are. We like, no, 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 no. That was the Jews, right? No, 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 no. No, that, no, that was the Romans. No, that was you. That was me. I put him on the cross and he was willing to do so. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give somebody an opportunity to trust in Jesus. Listen, y'all sat up here and listened to me yell for 50 minutes. You might as well give your life to the Lord. I don't know who it is in this room that has walked away from the Lord or you had professed at one point, but you detoured from him. And you know, really at the core of your life, he's not Lord. There's a saying that says, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And it's true. And some of you are professing that he's Lord, but you're living as though he's not. And I just, I came to yell at you to tell you, he ain't sending nobody else. He sent his best. Don't reject his best. If you're in here in this room and you, you don't know who Jesus is, you, you haven't, or you don't, you, you haven't really walked with him. Maybe you've professed faith, but you know, deep inside, you're not really, you're like me. You know, when I was younger, just kind of going through religion, coming to church sometimes, no shade. I want you to get it right today. If that's you, do me a favor. Just come down to this altar. Don't play games with them. I want you to pay attention to how this thing ends. Jesus, everything he says is true. And if he just said, if you reject me, the stone will crush you. If you don't know Jesus and the pardon of your sins, will you give your life to him today? I'm going to hold it for a second. If that's you, maybe you're afraid to come down. Let's do it this way. Every head bow, every eye closed. Just slip your hand in the air. If that's you, if that's you, slip your hand in the air. I see that hand, my bro. I see that hand, sis. I see that hand, bro. Hallelujah. I see these hands. Look up for a second. If you raise your hand, there's a brother over here by the name of Nate. Wave your hand, Nate. This is Nate. He's going to do communion. After communion and the benediction, he's going to, he wants to meet you right over here. It literally will be a second. But we want to, we want to get some information from you. And for the rest of the room, can we praise God that Three people said, I want to give my life to the Lord. Three people. I don't want the stone to fall on me. I want to fill that void. And those of you who raised your hand, you made the best decision ever. Ever. I promise you. And there's a community of brothers and sisters that are all here and willing to push you in this spiritual thing called Christianity because God is good. Father, I thank you for every single person that raised their hand. These two brothers and this sister that are professing that they want to give their life to you. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We couldn't 
make up a better way to get to you. But the fact that you sent your son, what a crazy plan, but it worked. And here I am, and here we are, as your hands and feet and as your body, now all waiting for our marching orders from you. We thank you, oh God, for your son. And we promise, oh God, not to walk out of here and reject him with our lives, but we promise to walk out of here and bear fruit because you are worthy of the praise. But I pray for everybody else in this room that has been struggling in their faith and they've kind of hit a season of stagnation. Pray that you would set us on fire. Pray that you would set us on fire. Pray that we would be men and women that are ferociously in love with your son, Jesus, and we are living life according that way. But I pray that that would be the testimonies of the room and those that are online. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen.